everyone. We want to welcome you back to the Donkey and the Rhino. It's a pleasure to have you with us again, as always. Love our listeners. Uh, today, I have a very special, special guest for you. It's the same guest that's been on every episode, but he's still special nonetheless, Mr. Lee Falcon. How are you doing, sir? Hi, everybody. <laughs> See, now expectations for this episode have once again gone sky high. <laughs> my mom used to tell me I'm special. My dad too. So. Well, and now your co-host does too. <laughs> and that's absolutely true. <laughs> uh, how, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Had a little uh, stomach bug earlier mm. in the week. Went to the doc. They gave me some prescription-grade antacids. Feeling a lot better now. My tummy's a little bit lower. I don't look pregnant anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Life life has improved. It's crazy how much like it's crazy how much you think you don't think about your health until you're sick. Like I yeah, it's awful, man. Because like once you're sick, you're just like, please bring me back to health. I I feel like nothing but sympathy for people with chronic illness, man. Because my tummy ached for three days, and I was like, Ugh. I can't imagine yeah. having that every day or some illness that was much worse than that. Yeah, no, you don't really know how much you take your health for granted until you're down for the count or you've injured something. It's like, and even me, like this was something minor. Like I remember I jammed my thumb like a month ago and like for a couple of days, I'm like, man, I miss that feeling of being able to grab a doorknob without this awful pain. So, you know, obviously what you had was, you know, sounds like it was much worse, but, uh, but I mean, you know, but thankfully we're the only, I'm the only person who got sick this week or last two weeks, right? Nobody else of noteworthy, uh. Nobody no, political power got sick in any way whatsoever? No, not that I can think of. When I think of <laughs> political power figures and people who hold a central, uh, play a central role in the in American discourse, just you. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody else. Nobody else. Oh, wait, there was someone. Oh, yes, Donald Trump. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got <laughs> sick. But it's, it was apparently no big deal. We did learn that we... No longer need to let COVID nineteen dominate our lives. Dominate keyword there. Dominate. Do not, not do not slightly rule or uh, no. Do not <laughs> do not do not let it dominate your lives, folks. And yeah, the inspirational uh, the inspirational <laughs> message for our president on COVID nineteen. So uh, uh, yeah, uh, for today we basically want to cover before we get to it. The main thrust of it was going to be the VP debate from last week. Mike Pence versus Kamala Harris, Slugfest, Mortal Kombat, uh, Do or Die. It was a couple of days ago, but I think uh, I think our thoughts have kind still, of settled on it, and you know, it's, yeah, it's an important it's thing. Fresh. Yeah, it's, uh, it was still fresh. I I think you know it's about a week old. I, I've eaten chicken that's older than that and came out fine. So- <laughs> would you say that uh, uh, before we actually dig in? Would you say that Mike Pence was pretty fly for a white guy? Like I, w- I do like that. <laughs> I was like, damn, I'm trying to, I, I was trying, whenever you say something witty, I always try to play off of that and have something, you know, wittier to, to take the, take it up another level, but I can't even for that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think everybody, I think his flyness was on uh, display for everyone to see <laughs> the, 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 the easily the political breakout star of 2020. 
absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and what makes it better is that he doesn't have like dark hair like me or you. It's not black or like right, dark brown. Right. It's literally white. Like <laughs> you can't white. hide anything, dude. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, that's what I was thinking. It's like, yeah, man, that white hair is not doing him any favors right no, now. Dude. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just, uh, yeah, just fly, just a fly posted up on his hair like he's LeBron James posted up in the paint. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just chilling there yeah but uh <laughs> so do you I think like the fly is going to shift it do you think uh 2020 is a is a paradigm shift incoming because of lord of the flies choosing pence over harris does that mean even the animal kingdom is on the side of the republicans this time around or like, well it? i well i will say i do believe that of all of the debate competitors that we've seen the last few weeks i would say that the fly was probably the third best i would say that he edged <laughs> He's, well, he, he edged Biden and easily beat Trump. So, <laughs> <laughs> he never interrupted the moderators. Re, re, Republicans were looking. Republicans were looking at it and go like, "Man, that fly ain't saying anything stupid. Maybe he should be at the top of the ticket." <laughs> fly Pence, twenty twenty. Twenty twenty four is coming, man. I fe- I think what's the average lifespan of a fly? Like twenty four hours. But like, if we could extend that for years, we have a shot. I mean. I mean, if you really think about it, we're we're going to elect two guys who are well into their 70s and who are in questionable health right now. So mm-hmm. I feel like if we're willing to do that, why not go for a housefly that's, you know, I mean, I know they only live like, what, a month, but you never know. They could push it. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, like- we, we, don't, we don't seem to care about such things now. <laughs> Longevity. Humans and their speciesism, right? Like, why is it always humanity that has to be in every apocalyptic film saving the world why can't it be like a monkey with like a nice banana peel <laughs> throwing it under the aliens and having them slip and bonk their heads or a fly it could be any number of creatures it doesn't always have to be humans i i agree and you know what they're not gonna they're not gonna say anything racist they're not gonna lie <laughs> they're gonna have everything out there for you to see and to enjoy and uh appreciate and uh <laughs> And I feel like a monkey screeching probably would have gone in line with the the president, the first presidential debate. But right, right, right. Um, I don't, I don't think animals, if they were listening to it, could distinguish between that and the normal sounds they hear in the wild. Like it, it was just, it was chaos. <laughs> but this, this debate wasn't chaos. So no. What were your impressions of the debate? Who do you think won? Why do you think they won? Okay. Well, I will say this debate was normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we all appreciated that. I think before the uh, the first presidential debate, I think everyone, you know, I don't think anybody would have been thrilled by the idea of having or seeing a quote unquote conventional debate. And then right. we had a complete dumpster fire for that first presidential debate. And now we're like, OK, let's go back to the conventional. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was that. My impressions were that both candidates, uh, they gave relatively strong performances, I think. I don't think either of them were perfect by any means, but I think I think Harris and Pence had two different goals coming into this, and I think more or less they both met those goals. I think uh, on Harris's part, her, uh, her goal was to sort of play the role of the prosecutor to try and uh, kind of hold a fire to the... Uh, to the more divisive, more controversial, unsatisfactory aspects of the, the the Trump record, but specifically COVID-19. And I thought roughly the first third of the debate, she hammered home on that pretty effectively. Uh, I also think that she got in a couple of kind of memorable lines in regards to uh, Obamacare 
and the risk that it might be facing in the courts in the next few months. And I thought all of that was effective. I also think she came off uh, presidential in the sense that she didn't come off scary, <laughs> which would have uh, mm. which would have obviously hurt the uh, the Biden brand. Uh, you know, I thought she came off relatively uh, poised. So I, I I think she passed the the president test, meaning that you could see her as president. Obviously, uh, that standard has probably shifted the last four years, but nonetheless, I think people who looked at Kamala Kamala Harris probably figured that she could be president. They could see her in that role. And that was a win for her. Uh, on the other hand, Mike Pence, I actually think, had the more difficult job. Mm -hmm. uh, they're behind in the polls. <clears throat> Donald Trump is uh, is not a popular figure right now. And the COVID-19 response from the administration has been criticized at length. Uh, at this point, most voters are uh, dissatisfied with the uh, with the uh, the response from the administration in regards to COVID-19 so far. So Pence, it was up to him to actually defend a record that most Americans and most viewers were going to be skeptical of. And on that point, I actually think he did a decent job. He did a better job than Donald Trump did and a better mm -hmm. job than Donald Trump probably could ever do because Mike Pence can one, he can come off, uh, he can come off civil one. He can make a cogent argument. He can uh, exude gravitas and poise and he can be very evasive when necessary, which is a skill that you need in a debate and a skill that Kamala Harris showed as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he gave a performance that was actually the first bit good, first bit of good news for conservatives and Trump supporters, because I think a clear eyed Trump supporter would probably be honest and say the last month has not been good for the administration, uh, especially the last two weeks preceding the debate. were not good with the release of Trump's taxes, uh, with uh, his awful debate performance, with him contracting COVID-19. So, uh, so Pence giving a strong debate performance was something that conservatives could kind of point to and say, look, this is the ticket. This is the Trump record. Pence is able to defend it in a way that the candidate at the top of the ticket cannot. And, uh, and even though it didn't last very long, because of course Donald Trump proceeded to step in that good news and completely wreck it like he does everything else, it was still, at least for an evening, a bit of good news. So in that sense, I would say that it was a, a draw because both Harris and Pence met their goals. If you're asking me which campaign won, I'm going to say the Biden campaign only because only, well, <laughs> well I, I think you might agree with me on this then. The Biden campaign did not want the VP debate to shift the dynamics of the race right. because they're already winning. And that way, maybe Pence and the Trump campaign had no chance of winning, right? Because VP debates never shift the dynamics of a campaign. But yeah, they're right. historically inconsequential. They almost yeah. never matter. Right. Uh, and so because of that, I mean, maybe it was destined to be a better night for the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign. But the fact that the race stayed on its trajectory was good news for Biden, uh, Harris. But um, but there were good things for, for, you know, for the Trump campaign as well that came from it. So I think that your opinion of who won is probably going to hinge on whose candidacy you support. Well, I feel I'm going to pat myself on the back here for the okay. first presidential debate. I gave it to Biden. I try my best to 
see who I think the winner is objectively, like as a moderate voter, not I gotcha. just who appeals to my conservative votes. I would hope I try and do that as often as I can on this one. I think even if I weren't conservative, mm-hmm. I would think as a conservative, I, can, I mean, it's hard for me to say what I would think if I weren't me, but as mm-hmm. me, I'm pretty sure Pence took it easily. No contest, mm. absolute composure, absolute control. Like you said, air of civility still has weight gravitas behind it that's Mm. not to say that kamal Harris did not do well i thought she did i thought she did a lot better than i thought she was going to do to be honest Um, really because i think kamal harris is the closest to hillary clinton we're going to get in 2020 right joe biden is not a hillary clinton he's not unlikable but kamala harris is depending on who you ask within the party (laughs) well i mean outside of that she's just I don't know. There's something about her that's a little abrasive. The Kavanaugh hearings kind of come to mind. Maybe it's that prosecutorial air about her where regardless if she was a male or female, there's something about her that kind of looks like when she's kind of like smiling, she's like laughing a little bit at you and it's Mm. sort of condescending. But in this debate, she did that once or twice, but I thought she was in control for most of her monologues. I thought she had very clear points. I thought the line she had about, well, the American people have witnessed what is the greatest failure of any present presidential administration in the history of our country was clear it it embodied exactly what her party wanted her to say and wanted her to balance most of her debate on so i thought she did very well for that aim but i think pence if the trump campaign was on life support in at least the national media's eyes or the optics right Mm because 2016 he was trailing hillary by five to six percentage points all the polls are wrong. He eventually won. They weren't wrong on the popular vote, but they were wrong about who was going to take those key election. states. Yeah, a few of those yeah. key states they were wrong in. They got him off. But this time around, you know, polls aren't always right, but they're a good rule of thumb. They're a good temperature check for how the election is going to play out most times. And it's a lot harder to argue a 14-point deficit will somehow flip on November 3rd than it is to argue a 5- or 6-point deficit will flip. So... Like you said, I think some of us moderate conservatives or anyone trying to look at the election as even keeled as possible, we're thinking to ourselves like this is a the Trump campaign is very behind here and we're going to need a Mm. kind of knockout performance on VP night to keep the life support systems on. And I think Pence absolutely did that. Like maybe Mm. we're wrong and November 3rd is just a landslide election victory for President Trump. Maybe. But chances are probably is at this point, probably not. And I think Pence did a great job of just highlighting the policy reasons why conservatives stand behind president trump and all of his actions the last four years like if you remove the rhetoric if you remove some of the more abrasive commentary like what happened in the last debate and you look at the policy of this man pence is the perfect kind of civil embodiment of that policy and i thought i thought he did absolutely amazing on several points but overall Mm -hmm. i just thought he brought an air of kind of reasonable like a reasonable air to the campaign that I think has been missing for the last couple of weeks, at least, because, you know, emotions are high. We're only a couple of weeks out. And I think Pence accomplished that. Okay. Well, I will, I will say one thing, like I said, I do not believe that this debate shifted the dynamics of the race. Right. Hmm. But I think one positive thing for the Trump campaign that did come from this is that I think a lot of conservatives who could not stomach Donald Trump and still can't, I think that they probably looked at that debate and for the first time this year thought about the Trump presidency in a way or in a context in which they might actually be able to support it in November. Now, when I say a context in which they might be able to support it, I mean a context without Trump. But, you know, Mm. in which another 
smarter, more competent guys at the head of the ticket. But I think I think one of the reasons why Trump has really fallen behind in especially some of these states that are really conservative leaning, right? Or uh, you know, like you know, there's some polls Arizona. that have him down in I, Arizona, Iowa, Ohio right now, and why he's within uh, why Biden is within striking distance uh, according to some polls in places like Georgia and Texas. Mm-hmm. It's because there are a lot of people who have probably been lifelong Republicans who did not vote for Obama, did not vote for Hillary, may, probably voted for Trump in 2016. They're looking at what's happened uh, over the course of this year, and they've seen Trump's performance, and they've seen uh, kind of the way he's carried himself over the course of his entire presidency, and they just do not like the guy. No. They, can't, they can not stomach him. I'm not saying that's most Trump supporters. Please understand. I I recognize that, you know, the the large majority of people who voted for Trump in 16 are going to be supporting him in 20. But there is a significant minority of those folks who are not going to support him this year. Some of them might go to Biden, but some of them might also sit it out. And one of the main reasons they're not supporting him is because they think that he's disruptive. They think that he's divisive. They don't like his views on race in some cases. And they can't bring themselves to overlook his persona and look to policies that they might actually support. And I think the VP debate was probably the first time this entire election cycle where they could think about the po- those policies and think about what's happened over the course Trump pre- uh, over the course of the Trump presidency and kind of look at it in a new light. Look at it in the Pence light. Look at it. Hmm. Uh, look at it in the context of a candidate who can actually articulate his views, make an argument, come across civil, come across poise, and I think kind of attach the policies of the Trump administration to a persona that they are more uh, accustomed to. Hmm. And I think a persona that they'd like to see in that context. And I think maybe for them, that was the first time where they could go like, hmm, I could maybe see myself getting behind this person. Uh, or at least this ticket. Um, I don't know if that's 100% true, and I actually still think that a lot of those folks are going to shun Trump, (laughs) the folks that I'm talking about. Fingers crossed, eh? (laughs) I don't think think I need the fingers crossed, but (laughs) that's just my hunch. I mean, uh, you know, just from the bits that I've, you know, anecdotally speaking, folks that I knew, you know, from high school and in Kentucky who are conservatives, who I know for a fact are Republicans. Right, right. Uh, who, because of Trump's conduct and the way that he's handled, you know, the multiple crises that have occurred this year, they cannot bring themselves to vote for him. They might not be able to vote for Biden, but they're not supporting Trump either. Now, a place like Kentucky, there's not a lot of those voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kentucky's going to go for, you know, the Republican. But places like Ohio, just up north, Iowa, Florida, North Carolina, those are the places that Trump is going to have to win. And I think that's where he's probably turned off some of those supporters who got behind him in 16. But maybe Pence, I think Pence might, for the first time this entire year, have made them look at the Trump-Pence ticket and go like, huh, I might be able to stomach that. Right. I think think the one word that kind of... The one word that encapsulates any reason why Donald Trump may lose this year is coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the last four years, I mean, like you, 
your statement is kind of, well, people have seen what he's done over the last four years and his abrasive personality, and it's really, it's kind of turned them off from him. But that that's part of his strength, too. It's because Donald Trump is so straightforward and gutsy with some of the things that he says that he's able to knock out an entire field of polished Republican primary contenders. You know, it's that same in-your-face personality, no apologizing for anything whatsoever that's able to knock out a machine like the Clinton dynasty, which could pretty much turn anything into mulch that went against it. But he was able to do that on his first run of, of all times that you could do it. So I think it's it's just a double-edged sword in the sense that with something like the coronavirus, there's not a lot of room for rhetoric. There's not a, a lot of room for political theater. And even if you might have some kind of on the ground reality truths about locking down the country from uh, people visiting from other nations or the spread of the infection and going against the idea that this could be xenophobic to keep the country secure. Like maybe a, a president with a more straightforward attitude will get that type of thing done. But at the same time, that attitude, if it doesn't have checks and restraint and breaks, will also lead to a performance where he's interrupting for half of the debate, like what we saw in the last presidential debate. So I feel. I agree with you in the sense that I think Pence spoke to Florida and Pennsylvania and to any part mm -hmm. of the country which could go red or blue or we're not sure where it's going to land. Like in those areas, I think people got at least a national media level example of why the Trump ticket works policy wise. Because like you said, Pence kind of embodies that side of it. Like he embodies, hey, the policy can be civil. Hey, the representative we have for our party can be someone who's kind of calm natured and civil and respectful. And mm -hmm. I think it, if anything, that's a good reflection on the president's decision making, because for all of the heat that he's gotten for having forcing half of his cabinet to resign at one point or another, he did pick <laughs> Pence, you know, like Pence is the result of his decision making yeah. too. Out he of regretted it. He regretted it reportedly after making the decision. Well, he's not regretting it now because <laughs> Pence right. is pulling through. The white-haired knight, the paladin of holy mm -hmm. fire. He's just he's just bringing it through for us because we we need those moderates. And I think regardless of the 94% approval rating that the president still enjoys within his own party, mm -hmm. I know, too, from just anecdotal conversations I've had with friends and moderates that this has not been a strong month, I think, for Republicans overall. And I think... Like you said, anyone w willing to lend an honest ear, and honest does not mean CNN or MSNBC, please. But get out, get outside and talk with people. Talk with friends and family who you know don't really have an allegiance to either side. Just people who kind of don't care about politics that much and ask them what their impressions are. And I, I agree with you. I think the optics have been bad for the president in the last month and a half. And he's made some, I would say, poor decisions regarding the debate and other public choices but i think pence kind of helped restore some of that and in that way aside from it being a debate win it was a win for the administration to at least keep us alive into the next two or three weeks but like you said kamala also had a win because when you're ahead the whole point is stay ahead and don't throw your lead and she didn't do any crazy kind of hail mary plays she didn't go no. for any crazy kind of tmz sound bites she stuck with strict scripted attacks on the president that they've been saying for the last year, year and a half, and she didn't deviate from it at all. And I think they both accomplished their aim in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, well, let, let me, let me throw this at you. Okay. So we're, you know, we're, we're both praising Pence's performance and saying it was a big improvement from the president's performance. Let me throw some mud on it though. Uh, <laughs> let me throw some mud on it though. So I've, I've uh, let me know if you've encountered some, I encountered three polls regarding, the vp debate and who people think won right right 
The first one was from Politico. Well, not the first one, but the first one I, you know, I, I, I pulled up uh, is from uh, the first one's from Politico and Morning Consult. Mm-hmm. Their flash poll show, their flash poll showed that fifty one percent of viewers thought that Harris won, right. as opposed to forty percent who thought that Pence won. Now, mm-hmm. the the silver lining in that is that Pence actually won among independent voters. Uh, independent really? voters, self self described independents in this poll, uh, said that they preferred Pence forty one to thirty nine percent. But really? in account. Yeah, but when taken into account, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, uh, fifty-one to forty for uh, for Harris. Uh, the next one I have here is from uh, five thirty-eight, who teamed up with Ipsos. I think I'm pronouncing that poll right, but uh, please forgive me if I'm not, uh, and please do not call me out if I'm not pronouncing it right. Uh, <laughs> you covered but, all your bases uh, keep, there. Keep it, keep it, keep it, keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> So th- they 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 approached it a little bit differently. They didn't ask who you thought won, Pence or Harris. Instead, they were asking, uh, "How did you think the candidates performed individually?" So, of uh, people who viewed it, fifty nine point five percent of people said that Pence gave a good performance. In contrast to Kam- Kamala Harris, where sixty nine point three percent of people thought that she gave a good debate performance, and then it looked at. Uh, their, how their how their popularity uh, uh, changed after the debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, once again, this was a harder lift for poll uh, for Pence rather. But before the debate, Pence's favorability uh, among respondents was fifty two percent. Afterwards, fifty three percent. So he went up one point. Right. Kamala Harris before it was forty five percent. After the debate, she's fifty one percent. Right. Uh, so she went up six points, but once again, Pence was obviously relatively high there. Right. Uh, then, your, yeah, then your favorite—I think the most reliable poll uh, was uh, the CNN instant poll, oh, which Lord. showed that fifty-nine percent <laughs> said Harris won, thirty-eight percent said that uh, said that uh, said that Pence won. Now they reckon now, uh, in fairness here, as you would probably imagine, for all you folks saying CNN is skewed. In this poll, they actually do acknowledge that it's skewed. Uh, I do not have the numbers in front of me, but I do remember, I think, uh, something like 38% were self-described Democrats. I think 28% were independents. No, 28% were Republicans, and then 30-something percent were were self-professed independents, and then... um, I remember the the numbers they gave were a little bit over a hundred percent because you know it's probably a shoddy poll, but right, right. that accounts for the. Uh, they say that was the margin of error though that accounts for. But uh, whether or not you believe that you know Harris actually won fifty nine to thirty eight as that CNN poll says, one thing I actually <laughs> do believe so though, good. something I actually do believe though is that there was a significant gender gap. Which said that Harris won the debate thirty nine percent to thirty percent. Now I don't know if it was actually a thirty nine percent gap there, and uh, how people viewed their performance. But I do believe that a large portion of women probably felt that Harris won that debate uh, because one that would keep in line with the gap, the gender gap that we're seeing uh, in uh, polling for uh, you know for the general election where Biden has a very large advantage with uh, women voters right now. Uh, but I also, just from looking at 
once again, this is anecdotal, but social media, looking at what friends have said, it seems like a lot of women identified with certain moments in that debate and felt that they could put themselves in Harris' shoes. Harris's shoes. So uh, all this to say, while Pence may have given a strong performance, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that most people who watched that debate gave the win to Harris. Yeah, I mean, it's like that CNN poll you mentioned. It, it kind of reminds mm. you of this MSNBC poll I, I saw a couple of years ago, <laughs> where I think they had like, what was it like, seventy three percent favored? Uh, who was it at the time that I was watching? I think it was between was it Kerry and Bush? I, I it was a presidential election between a red and a blue, and they had something mm. like seventy three percent with twenty seven percent opposed. But then when you look in the the fine print, and you're like, well, seventy three percent identify as Democratic voters, and twenty seven percent vote identify self identify as Republicans. It's like ah, so the the identification of the people being polled matters, and it makes sense mm. why the gap in a CNN poll would be so much larger than in something a little bit cleaner like maybe Gallup or you know mm. any number of more independent pollings, but I, I don't, I don't think it's all smoke and mirrors. And I get why maybe the average voter would think Harris won, but not by much because I feel like when I'm looking at the debate, I'm looking at this debate on its own merit, who had better control of the conversation, who seemed to be yeah. a lot more familiar with the policy points, who parried better, who controlled the flow of everything. But we can't just look at it as just a standalone debate because it exists in the context of the larger American election for 2020. And mm. I think it's a lot harder to win points when you're in Pence's position than it is necessarily mm. to win points when you're in Harris's position because Harris and Biden right now do enjoy being the front runner as far as polls are concerned. And I think, mm. I think that's going to factor into the favorability of the candidates. But with that said, I think it was very telling on that first poll you gave for the percentage of independent voters, what what was mm. the number again that you gave? It was it was uh, it was forty one to thirty nine. Right, forty one to thirty nine, and like that, that's important to me because it's like I was telling a friend the other day. Like um, mm. they were telling me, oh, you know, Pence dis absolutely destroyed in this debate, and I was like, I thought he did excellent too. And they're like, and Trump destroyed in the first debate, and I was like, eh, I don't know about <laughs> that. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, look, like look at all these outlets are saying that Trump abs absolutely did it, and they linked the Fox News article. And mm. so I want to use the baseline of a lot of these outlets to gauge who actually won in their eyes. So like, for example, when the first presidential debate happened, CNN was like, it was a complete travesty. It was a circus. Trump absolutely imploded on stage. And we expect that from CNN. But with this debate, they were kind of saying like it was close. It was almost a tie. But Harris came out with a slight edge. So I'm mm. like, man, from all the polling I've seen, which... The large majority of it has come from more left-leaning websites. Not to say that Gallup or any of those guys is left-leaning, but CNN, MSNBC most definitely are. And I think it was extremely telling to see just how muted some of their criticisms were of Pence this time around. It was a very mm -hmm. muted type of, or muted type of victory lap. Like, it wasn't like, wow, Harris completely took control. There's no reason for anyone to vote any other way on November 3rd. It was kind of like, yeah, Harris won slightly. She had an edge here, there. And I was like, that's interesting to me. You know, like, it's interesting just how well Pence did, not necessarily to convert anyone on the blue side over to the red, but to give independence a second thought at the presidency and to kind of stifle the more venomous criticisms that the other side could levy against him. But, you know, just to kind of sum it up, I think his strongest moment was probably his dealings with taxes in China. And I think Kamala Harris's strongest moment, I don't know, she had a couple of good moments, but 
I should ask you then, what do you think Pence's strongest moment was and his weakest moment was? I think his strongest moment, uh, it's kind of tough to, to pick out one because I think I kind of looked at it generally in terms of how he defended the, the Trump record as opposed to Trump himself. Mm-hmm. I would say, though, if I had to choose one, he got a lot of good licks in on the Green New Deal. Mm. And I think that he did a better job than Trump of trying to pin Kamala Harrison on the court packing issue. Right. Uh, it came up. Uh, I mean, both of those issues came up in the presidential debate. Uh, however, because Trump was an interrupting mixer, uh, interrupting interrupter, he didn't allow Biden the opportunity to kind of contradict himself or to kind of step in the mud or kind of give the appearance of being evasive, right? Because Pence just came off, not Pence, rather, Trump just came off very combative uh, during that exchange. But in this more conventional debate, Pence was, you know, a skilled enough debater to throw out his jab, throw out his question, and kind of give the opponent the space, the air to kind of trip up. And I don't think Kamala Harris necessarily tripped up on either of those occasions. But at the same time, she didn't come off exactly forthcoming either (laughs) i would say Um, not giving a direct answer to whether or not you're going to pack the supreme court and later telling the voters as joe biden did what two days later that we'll wait till after the election to let you know what our position is on packing the court is literally as evasive (laughs) as it gets but i agree with you that i don't think trump let biden step into that bear trap and i think pence did a much more effective job at letting kamal do it yeah. So I think I think, you know, he you know, so I think he hammered away at the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, by the way, not as unpopular as folks seem to think it is, but it is probably unpopular in some of those swing states that Biden is really counting on to seal this victory. And then the court packing issue, while I don't believe that's going to I don't to be honest, I don't think the Supreme Court is the defining issue of this race. However, it might be an opportunity to maybe try and turn on. Uh, and mobilize and galvanize conservative voters and conservative activists. Uh, so I think those were his most effective moments in really trying to, I think those were his most effective moments in attacking the Biden-Harris camp. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, I think those are the standout moments for me. And then, of course, his balancing act with a fly on his head was also pretty good. So that's <laughs> that's going to be the third one, that fly. He kept that thing on for two minutes. So, it, it left safe and sound, no harm done, no probably harm. for the better after getting a whiff of that uh, head and shoulders uh, presidential <laughs> grade shampoo and conditioner. You know, fly uh, was okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Came, came, flew away a little buzzed, a little inebriated, but it was all good. Uh, so, yeah, for, for, so for me, I, I would say that was probably the most effective moment for Pence. I think mm. I think the part the with COVID-19 was probably his toughest, his weakest moment. Right. Only because me, once again, somebody as uh, an unbiased viewer, of course, naturally watching that, (laughs) some of the things he said was just surreal to me. And I think it probably was surreal to a lot of the voters who were watching the debate Mm -hmm. because it's kind of, you know, just given the nature of where the pandemic is right now, the fact that we've seen these increases in cases, the fact that we're entering, uh, you know, we're entering uh, the fall and heading into the winter where most public health experts are saying that we're going to be in for a rough time to have the vice president of the United States and the head of this uh, 
you know, this coronavirus task force at the beginning of the year to have him essentially tell us that everything was great and the Trump administration has nailed the response didn't come off too convincing. And I think the more time that was spent in the debate on COVID-19, the worse it was for the Trump campaign. Uh, he had I a agree. tough sell on that. Uh, I don't think that there was really anything that he could say that was going to convince most voters that Trump was doing a good job on it. Right. Uh, so I think that was his weakest moment. That was his weakest stretch. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. The longer the conversation dwells on Corona and death tolls, the worse it is for the administration the worse it is for their re-election campaign. I think they've done a, they've done as good, Pence did as good of a job as he could do on mm. focusing on closing the borders early, which was to Trump's credit a huge thing, a huge plus. It, it wasn't that time. huge. It was pretty <laughs> it big. I mean, huge. CDC and everyone else says it was the right call. It wasn't just enacted by some he, xenophobic incentive. He didn't shut off all travel to China, though. That was one thing. And then two, like you said, it just bought us time, time that was not used effectively. But time is lives, like especially when you're talking about controlling a pandemic. A, B, even if he didn't stop all travel from China, you would have politicians like Joe Biden who said none of the travel should have been stopped at the time. So I'm... I'm okay with talking about how the administration might have dragged its feet at a later point, but I think that was absolutely an excellent move by the administration to do that, in part because they weren't afraid of kind of the political incorrectness of closing the borders or partially closing the borders to China. And I think when that conversation comes up, the Pence, the Pence line was to stick with closing the borders, having Joe oppose it, call it xenophobic at one point, then flip-flop later on and say it was a good decision, and talk about Operation Warp Speed which mm -hmm. is basically uh, the administration's push towards getting a vaccine out as quickly as possible. Some mm -hmm. would say at an unsafe kind of reckless way, but I mean, most I of these not. trials, well, none of us would hope not, but it, it, yeah. I thought since we were talking about Pence's strongest moment and some of his weakest moments, I thought for Harris, her strongest moment was probably that outlining that mm -hmm. her campaign thinks that the Trump administration is the greatest failure of any presidential administration, listing 200,000 dead, uh, 7 million people have contracted the virus. But I thought probably her weakest point overall was, <sighs> there's so many to choose from, Devin. I <laughs> weakest? <laughs> yeah. You think there are that many? I thought she had one or two really bad ones. I thought, okay. I thought her mentioning on day one, Joe Biden will repeal the tax bill. He's going to repeal the tax bill. He's not going to cut. He's going That's to get unpopular. rid of the Trump tax cuts. AP That's fact not check, unpopular. But AP fact check said that he's probably going to repeal only some of it. He can't repeal the entire thing on his own, much less on his first day in office. You need Congress mm -hmm. to do that because it is the law. And yes, while it's true that Biden did say uh, he's not going to raise taxes on people making under 400000 if mm -hmm. he did repeal the Trump's tax cuts, which most independent organizations have an average of giving $2,000 to the average middle-class American family over the course of the last several years, then mm. that could easily show itself in payroll reduction, layoffs, et cetera. Like, I thought, they, I thought Harris kind of played it a little slippery with the tax cuts. I think she wanted to, to make it look like Joe was a lot more executive than he actually was. That Like, on day one, he could just walk into the Oval Office and take out a pen and just sign it away. And I think she wow. did a disservice to the nuance of how the tax code works and how a partial repeal of the Trump tax cuts would actually play out to the average American taxpayer who did benefit from those tax cuts as well. Well, I, well, I would say on that, I think one, this, I don't think it's unusual for a presidential candidate or a vice presidential candidate to try and exude 
authority, right? Try to exude strength, say that when I come into the presidency, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show this leadership. I'm going to affect change. Donald Trump certainly did that four years ago. Uh, every presidential candidate has done that because they don't want to say, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be hemmed in by, you know, by this deal with this congressman in this state or have to deal with this senator in this state. We're going to come up and we're going to go through this awful process of making sausage. That's usually <laughs> nice. not what you get. Yeah, that's usually not what you get. I mean, usually what you get is you want the presidential candidate, you want the vice presidential candidate to talk about their strengths and talk about their roles as leaders and kind of give off the impression that they are going to be the ones that's going to be leading government. Um, but does that mean so inventing not, artificial authority and saying that Joe Biden can do things on day one regarding the tax code that he well, legally well, is not allowed to do? Well, do Republicans have a problem with uh, people doing that, talking about authority that they don't have? I didn't think so, clearly. I, not if not if you support Trump. But anyway, but in any case, though, if, I think really what you're arguing for is for voters to elect a Democratic Senate. That's what that's sounding like to me. <laughs> because no, I because, just, I think, I guess. Yeah, right. No, because Joe Biden will absolutely have the ability to do what he wants to on the tax code if we have a Democratic Senate and a Democratic House of Representatives. You heard, it, not, you heard it here, folks, Lee. Uh, or you, hear, you heard it here, folks. Lee wants you to elect a Democratic Senate so that <laughs> Joe Biden can affect this change on the tax code. It's like uh, our mighty <laughs> VP said uh, on debate night to mm -hmm. Kamala Harris, you're entitled to your own opinion. But you're not, <laughs> not entitled to your own facts. And mm -hmm. yes, we get it. The VP debate is supposed to be where the right-hand man and right-hand woman of the presidential nominee is going up there and pretty much mm -hmm. just fluffing them up as much as humanly possible because <laughs> that's the boss. And their job is literally to do that. But I think, you know, artificially inventing executive powers that your president will not have on the first day is, as Kamala Harris would probably think about it, very Trumpian. And I was just shocked and ashamed that she would do such a... Such a evil, disingenuous thing. <laughs> On top of the fact that evil. Kamala Harris, the anti-vaxxer, and I quote, if the public health officials, if Dr. Fauci, if the doctors tell us that we should take it, I, Kamala Harris, will be the first in line to take it. Absolutely. But if Donald Trump tells us that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So, wait, so well, you, you well, have a vaccine that could potentially save hundreds of thousands, not millions of lives. And Kamala Harris playing fast and loose with whether or not the vaccine research is sound? Let me say this. She's not questioning the research. She's questioning the man who has repeatedly promoted hydroxychloroquine as a miracle cure. The man who went on, went in front of a briefing full of journalists and told the nation and told the world that we might want to consider studying the injection of bleach as a as a treatment for COVID-19. The guy who has been a compulsive liar his entire time as president, his time before that. Yes, you should be questioning that guy. Do not question the public health experts. Thank you. I would I would agree with that. But that's what she said. Thank she you. said she no. said if the she said if Dr. Fauci and the public health experts say it's safe, I'm taking it. And guess what? That's my stance. I think that should be everybody's stance. But then, why would you believe the compulsive liar? But then <laughs> like, she offered the, the dessert on the side. She didn't just say yeah. public health officials like Dr. Fauci or the CDC or any of the uh, huge corporations running these phase three trials gives it the okay, been responsible, then it's okay. Yeah. She then also added to that. But if Donald Trump says that we should take it, I'm not taking it. So it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. First of all, phase three trials are no small pickle. Okay. Phase mm -hmm. one trial, they're trying to establish the safety of whatever vaccine or drug they're working on. It's they mm -hmm. just, they just want to see if it's safe pretty much through phase one. They have yeah. several dozen 
at most participants. Phase two right. for most of these studies, they're trying to establish whether or not it works across a large group of participants. So usually they have a larger pool of anywhere from 25 to 100 participants. Yeah. Phase three, after they've established that it's safe for the overwhelming majority of cases and that it works, phase three, they're trying to establish whether or not it's ready for civilian distribution. So they'll have a large pool, usually for Moderna, for example, which is working on their uh, corona vaccine at the moment. Their phase three is probably going to be concluded in November. They have mm-hmm. 30,000 participants in their pool. They have communities from all across the country, all across yeah. the world. They have placebo controls. They they have the works. Like Operation Warp Drive or Warp Speed or Warp Fly is not going to change <laughs> the standard that they're using for these phases. Like This is the same medical standard that they've used throughout any presidency of the last decade or two for establishing whether or not a vaccine is safe mm-hmm. for distribution. So to say that if health experts give it approval, I'm down for it. But if D. Trump comes in and says we should take it, I'm not taking it. It's a mixed signal. And it, it's just, it doesn't look like the type of concrete leadership that you'd expect from someone who's telling us to trust in the medical research. It shouldn't matter if Donald Trump says we should take it. What should matter is only that the medical community and the people working on these vaccines says that it's approved for safe use. The other part of it, it just seems to me like another partisan shot at Trump based on his own rhetoric, like you said, regarding mm. hydroxychlorine and any of the other kind of uh, holistic approaches. He's bizarre. <laughs> bizarre <laughs> approaches he's taken. But you're sending the American citizen a mixed signal. And it's not the first time that I've heard from her or for a higher level Democratic operative. Well, if Donald Trump says it, I don't trust it. I'm not taking it when it first comes out. And I'm like dude, like you're a VP candidate, like don't gamble with people's expectations. The science is solid here and we can't cherry pick it just because we don't like the president. Well, okay. This would be a more convincing argument if we did not have the stories initially where the FDA wanted to do two months of additional studies for vaccines uh, after the data from the phase three uh, trials are, uh, you know, are available, right? So, so, you know, the, for those who, who are unaware, the FDA proposed an additional two months of checks and vetting of any vaccine to ensure that it is, in fact, safe and effective. And one of the most contentious points was that the FDA wanted to follow those who had taken the vaccine for an additional two months to help ensure that there were not additional side effects that might not have shown in the initial phase three portion of the trials and to ensure that they're not actually infected with the virus at a later point after the phase three trials are finished. So it's an additional check to ensure the efficacy and the safety of any vaccine. Now, the FDA sent this plan to the White House and it was held up in the office of the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who opposed to these additional two months of checks. Why was that? There was no reason other than the any reason that I could see, at least other than the one that's often been speculated, speculated about the media, which is that putting in these additional two months of checks would ultimately result in destroying any possibility that a vaccine would be available to the public before Election Day. So, I mean, you hear stories like this and it, it just hammers home what I think. Kamala Harris and what many Americans 
uh, feel about the way the Trump administration has handled the science on this, which is they have not been forthcoming and they've always had political considerations at the forefront of their mind. So I don't think that she was ridiculous to say, you know what, I'm not going to trust Trump. I do think that she was right to say, if the health experts are in favor of it, then I'm taking it. I do not think that she was saying, okay, if Dr. Fauci's in for it, for it, but Trump's again, or if Dr. Fauci says it's good, but Trump says it's good as well, then I'm not going to take it. I think what she's saying is if Fauci's skeptical of it or people who work outside of the government who are also public health experts, if they're skeptical of it, but Trump is going full speed ahead and giving a full-throated endorsement of it, then I'm not taking it. However, if Trump's for it, but it's also backed up by what public health experts are saying, then I'm on board. To be frank, that's my that's my stance on it, to be frank. But you see, all this interpretation and what I think she implied and her intent, mm. should, that should just not be on the table when we're talking about a potent phase three ready vaccination mm -hmm. trial like it's mm -hmm. the science is as solid behind this as it is behind gravity at this point like the medical consensus mm -hmm. is that these vaccines to date work and they work well and they're very well we don't know that side. yet we don't I know mean, that we know i hope they are but the phase three trials are not finished yet but they have preliminary info on it and they have the information that they released from their phase one and phase two so they have yeah. all of their side oh, effects yeah, they news. have the pool of efficacy they have all of that they have I think the last number I saw was up to 12,000, 13,000 participants already with full mm. completion of the trial. Like they're, mm. they're getting along very well and they're releasing this information as it comes along. The phase three isn't done yet, but the science mm. as it stands on its own at the moment it's is promising. completely solid behind the vaccinations. Of course, it absolutely is. And I don't want to hear a VP candidate talking about, hmm, well, if a doctor says it, but he says, it, I don't know, I got to weigh that. No, you don't have to weigh anything. You can weigh Donald Trump's statements about vaccinations and UV lights on its own merit and say that those are not scientifically <laughs> founded and you wouldn't trust his opinion on it. But you can also give the, the public, the American public, the confidence that these vaccines are running at a safe, mm -hmm. effective speed, much faster than any other point in history, because if we're being honest, the public demand for it is there. It's a mm -hmm. pandemic unlike almost anything any of us have seen in our lifetimes. Operation Warp Speed would have probably occurred even under a Democratic administration. But you can't be playing fast and loose with the truth about scientific fact. And it, it's a, I thought it was her weakest point in the debate because just like maybe President Trump's interruptions highlighted some of the bigger problems with his personality as a candidate, I thought Kamala's fast and loose with the facts about science kind of highlighted the Democratic Party's problem with science in the last year when it comes to enforcing specific quarantine restrictions against some groups but not against others, applying the science selectively for social justice movements that they have sympathy with, and overall just kind of cherry-picking the science to fit their political narrative. And I thought Kamala, whether she did it intentionally or not, just kind of embodied that approach by the party. So I don't know exactly how it would have played with an independent voter, but to me that was that was probably her weakest moment. But yeah, we well, can agree to disagree. I, I know you're not exactly going to trust Donald Trump with your you know, Health, holding the, the on-off <laughs> button to your life support machine. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I didn't trust him to do it with his own machine, to be honest, but let alone mine. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would say, though, I would say just just my last point on that on this is polls that I've seen, the latest polls I've seen, uh, polls that were actually out before uh, the VP debate showed that almost 50 percent of americans have serious reservations about taking any vaccine and this is sure, before sure. any comments from kamala harris 
you can't blame her or give, you know, or, or, or point to her statements as undermining public confidence in any vaccine. That's been happening throughout the year, and that's been happening because of the actions of the administration, I would say. Because even in cases where, you know, even if you want to point to Operation Warp Speed and, you know, the rapid development of these vaccines and, you know, hopefully the stringent trials that they're going through and the promising preliminary data that we've gotten from the trials. Every step of the way, even for things that are promising, Donald Trump has consistently undermined confidence in it because he's gone out and he's put it in a political context and he's tried to co-opt every single tiny bit of little good news for his own political purposes, right? I mean, he did it with convalescent plasma, right? He called it a game changer. Hmm. When most public health experts are like, oh, this might help. Yeah, it should probably be authorized for emergency use authorization because it might be helpful. But it, it was it not is a helpful game changer. Now we know. I mean, it, no, it was, game changer game was, change. it was an exaggeration, it, but it was definitely yeah. beneficial. Yeah, and well, there's preliminary data that shows it, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not arguing against. <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing against the. I'm not arguing against good news. You know, please, I want good news. Right. But what I'm saying is, even when you, he should be taking a measured approach with things, he just doesn't do it. Even with uh, the uh, the drug that he took, the monoclonal antibody treatment from Regeneron, he still took that and he called it a cure and his miracle drug. The preliminary data on that, what came out, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, it's pretty the, fresh. The C, yeah, the CEO of this said that it's like, well, we need to continue the testing. Like, we're going to ask for emergency use, use authorization because we think it's appropriate. But he's not even saying that we have all the data available to us to conclude that this is actually 100% effective. But Donald Trump continues to jump on these things uh, prematurely. And in a way that's not measured. And I would argue that's what undermines people's confidence in a lot of these treatments. Things that are even good news, like the Regeneron uh, drug, the monoclonal antibody drug, and the other one from Eli Lilly and other companies. That's actually promising news, right? That's great news. Uh, you know, the, the data that we have on convalescent plasma, that was promising stuff. You know, the vaccines, we might have an approved vaccine in the next few months. All that's positive, but it's you need to take a measured approach because science can only go at a certain speed, right? It can only go so fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for the sake of people's health and their safety, you should not be touting things and using drugs that have not been proven. And I, I think when you, you know, as Trump is done, when he constantly wants to speed up things, he wants to jump on every little bit of good news that he thinks might be helpful to his uh, fledgling, uh, not fledgling, his flailing, flailing uh, presidential flailing. campaign. Yeah, I was like fledgling. No, like, I had a flashback <laughs> to 2016, uh, 2015. Um, it's, you know, I, I think that's what's undermining confidence. It's not comments from Kamala Harris in the debate or, you know, the comments that she had a couple of weeks prior to that. Listen, I, I love this. I love this whole point about this being Kamala's weakest position in the entire debate, because I feel here I can have my cake and eat it too. I don't <laughs> even have to argue with you that the president has not undermined the science at certain points throughout the year. I don't even have to, I don't even have to go on the defense here. I can completely yeah. give that to you if I want to and say, let's just say for the sake <laughs> of argument, it's a hundred percent true, right? Let's not argue about, you know, somewhat malleable opinions on different so treatments that were overall positive that he might've exaggerated the positive. Like hydroxychloroquine. 
Sure. <laughs> Let's just go. I don't even have to argue with that. All I can say is, even if that is completely true, which it's debatable in several of the instances that he's been quoted on, especially the injecting mm. bleach into his butt quotes that I've seen all over the place, but even whoa, if that whoa, whoa. were 100% true, the point is Kamala should not be further undermining the science as a VP candidate. She's going to be, she could potentially be the second most powerful person in the world. She's going to have full control of the nuclear codes if something happens to Joe Biden. And at his age, it's very likely something could happen. So I don't want one candidate criticizing one president for being anti-science or scientifically resistant. And then when it appeals to her base, when it appeals to her progressive stance on the issues, or when it appeals to her probability of getting a high voter turnout, she casts doubt on highly, highly, highly vetted vaccines going through phase three trials just to take a dig at Donald Trump. Like if it's not good for one, it's not good for the other. But yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we can agree to disagree there. I will take Kamal's mm-hmm. vaccine if they put her on the priority list and she decides not to take it. Give it to me. I want to be healthy. Don't want no <laughs> flies around my corpse. Corona. None of that. I mean, be careful. You might turn orange taking this vaccine. Mm. It's not fully tested. <laughs> Get that tang color. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't know about these side effects. You should have waited. <laughs> they had a, there was this meme I saw. It. I forgot what it was. I don't know who made it, but some guy was like, yeah, I just took uh, that, that vaccine that came out of Russia and Dostoevsky, Dostoevsky, oh, just started talking in Russian. I'm like, yes! Yeah, yo, that that's ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I saw that, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, that, that their Operation Warp Speed was on another level. It's like, now nah, we skipping phases, bro. Bro, it's skip- like, <laughs> it's 100%, 100% effective in the two people that it did not kill. Like... <laughs> <laughs> the other 900,000 people disappeared. But, yeah, they had yeah. underlying health conditions. It wasn't the- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to, to kind of close out, um, <laughs> so our president has recovered from one of the most vile, dangerous illnesses that has ever befallen humanity. Do you think that President Donald Trump just has like a kind of divine immune system that's just able to repel all diseases or... Like, what are your thoughts on his uh, diagnosis and recovery? Do you think they're being forthcoming about his condition? Are you happy to see that the president can probably serve another four years in tip-top condition? Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, I would be happy if he can live another four years plus to write his presidential memoirs and maybe stay in trial for a few things. But- You'd be happy four years behind <laughs> bars, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think... Uh- well, I will say, I no, I do not believe the president has been particularly forthcoming about his health. Obviously, because uh-huh. uh, I think it was maybe only today that they they that they gave the results of a test that he took. I think it was a rapid COVID nineteen test that came back negative. Before that, we did not get any indication that he had actually gotten a negative test. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, there was uh, in the initial stages of his uh his diagnosis you're getting kind of conflicting information it's kind of one of those deals where like you find out somebody's lying but that lie is kind of taking place over the course of an extended period so the story keeps getting crazier as you go on mm-hmm. so you know so for instance like in, in trump's case you know he was uh we had heard that well, he tweeted actually that he was, you know, that he and Melania were diagnosed with COVID nineteen, but apparently it was very mild, no no major symptoms, congestion. Mm. Uh, then we find out it's like okay, he's going to the hospital, Walter Reed, 
precautionary, uh, precautionary. Preca- precautionary. It was apparently precautionary. Uh, then, you know, his doctor had uh, the press conference the next day saying, okay, well, he's doing well. He's really improved. Well, then we find out that Mark Meadows literally minutes after that was saying, yo, uh, we ain't knowing if he's going to recover yet. Oh, I'm done. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, that's what he said. Uh, it was actually even crazier than that because he didn't even come out with it at first. He was caught on camera asking right. to meet with journalists off the record. I saw that. Which I is like, that. which is grimy, bro. Like, wow. It's like I couldn't tell what that was. But then we find out. Uh, you know, Mark Meadows gave the uh, gave the more sober assessment of the president's health. Then we find out that he was placed on supplemental oxygen on two separate occasions because his oxygen, his blood oxygen levels had dropped. Uh, we find out that he was taking uh, a steroid that's, uh, you know, usually given to people who have severe cases of COVID-19. In fact, it's actually te- uh, studies have shown that it might actually be detrimental to the health of people who have mild cases of COVID-19. Uh, so we found out over the course of the weekend that he had a severe case of COVID-19. But the entire time we kept getting statements from the doctor and uh, we kept getting tweets saying that he was doing really well, that he was killing the treatment. He was killing this COVID-19. He was, you know, he was he was strong. He was feeling better than he was 20 years ago, which is an actual thing that he said, only to find out that had this man gotten this disease in March or April, he probably would have died because timing is everything. It is timing is everything. You know, he benefited from. The, you know, from the millions uh, of people who came before him, uh, you know, and, and were diagnosed with this disease and the hundreds of thousands of people in this country who died. The, uh, the, the knowledge that was gained through all of these separate cases culminated in treatments that allowed Donald Trump to recover. It's almost uh, like he benefited from making an executive order to push a vaccine quicker through to save millions of American lives. And he happens to be one of them. That's he didn't get of, the vaccine. <laughs> I all the research around it, like therapeutics he, and all the he other did get the antibody treatment though. He did get the antibody treatment though. That is true. Um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I guess what he gives himself a pat on the back for that. One might call him clairvoyant. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yo, I recognize that I'm going to be in the hospital and, six months so I, you know we got to pump out a treatment now i mean when you look out for the american people and you wake up in the morning and think how can i save this country every day sometimes it benefits you and i'm just happy to see it benefit him this time well i'm happy that we can be flipping about it right because it would have been something horrible had he actually gotten even sicker and, and died so i will say you know to answer your uh your other question keep myself out of trouble i am happy that he recovered i think nice. I think, well, I think for the health of our institutions, the health of our political system, and just on a human to human level, I'm happy that he recovered, right? We all die. So I think we should all show some humility when another human being is facing death. Yeah. I mean, like, I I would never vote for Joe Biden in this life or the 30 next ones. But do I want him to, like, choke on his own blood and suffocate to death? Like, that's insane. Like, who... What human That's being pretty wants specific. That? Yeah, like, <laughs> listen, I got dreams. No, like, stop. Like, I, I don't want that for anyone. Like, I had a couple mm-hmm. of people who were like, oh, man, it's going to get him. They were, like, super excited. And then when he recovered and he just came out with really? muscular. Yeah, I mean, I get it. This is a this is a emotionally volatile year. But for me personally, <laughs> I don't wish ill on anybody. I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen to Kamala no matter how many times she lies during a VP debate or to Biden, <laughs> no matter how many times he forgets where he's at at the current time. I just – I want everyone to be healthy, and I want them to win or lose the election. 
as healthy people. Like, mm-hmm. I'm happy the president recovered. Um, I'm happy the therapeutics were as strong as they appeared to have been because, mm-hmm. I, I, from what I last read, he's back on the campaign trail or making preparations to go back out. And mm-hmm. he seems to be in good spirits. He seems to be healthy. His breathing's back to normal. So, you know, we, we get the slugfest we've been waiting four years for, and we don't get Pence taking over for one holy righteous month and then, you know, possibly losing the election. Like the the campaign is about Trump versus Biden. And much as I love Pence, I don't think I don't think he stands anywhere close to the same amount of chance as of energizing the base and of getting out the vote as President Trump does. So I'm happy to see him alive and well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like like I said, I mean, you know, we don't wanna when I, I was talking about October surprises, I think on the last episode, and I will say this was not the October surprise I wanted. So, you know, give me, give me, give me some positive stuff. That's what I'm asking for. Uh, True that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So just to kind of wrap up, we're actually on time. It's we're at 63 minutes, dude. Like, oh, wow. Okay. We're getting better at this thing. Mm, No mailbag per se, no tweets per se, no comments like that. But I did want to, I had one comment from the Who Special Envoy on COVID-19, Dr. David Nabarro. And this came out this week. I just wanted your, you know, brief your brief thoughts on this, but um, right. they basically discourage lockdowns as U.S. hospitalizations continue to climb. They have 11 mm. states setting new records for new coronavirus cases. And mm-hmm. uh, Dr. David Nabarro, again, special envoy on COVID-19 from the World Health Organization from the WHO, said this week, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as a primary means of control of this virus, which is a flip-flop mm. from their position a couple months ago where it was. He continued to say, the only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it. Lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer. Mm-hmm. Just look at what's happened in the tourism industry in the Caribbean, for example, or in the Pacific, because people aren't taking their holidays. Look what's happened to smallholder farmers all over the world. Mm-hmm. Look what's happening to poverty levels. It seems that we may well have a doubling of world poverty by next year. And mm-hmm. this wasn't just Fox News spinning. I mean, you had USA Today, the Washington Post, New York Times. Everyone mm-hmm. has been quoting this guy left and right because they can argue, well, you know, uh, lockdowns were never the primary means of control. We all knew that. But the WHO and a bunch of other scientifically credible organizations were advocating it as a primary oh, yeah. control. And now there seems to be a pivot as we're understanding that the solution to this, the lockdowns has some dire, dire consequences that oh, nobody yeah. expected the results of to be at this level at this point. And I don't know. I, I was just interested in your take on his comments. Do you think he's, do you think he's overreacting? Do you think the new evidence that we have now later on in 2020 kind of supports this idea that lockdowns, over a longer stretch of time might be more dangerous than the thing they're trying to prevent? I think that it represents a more measured approach that I think uh, that I think scientists and I think uh, policymakers want to uh, that they want to take in uh, in responding to COVID-19 and spikes in cases. I think mm-hmm. if you go back to March anyway, uh, when, you know, COVID-19, we were fully understanding in the United States the extent to which it was spreading. People were freaking terrified, right? And it yeah, was because yeah. there it was a novel virus, still is. And we didn't really have a clear understanding of how it killed people, how it spread. 
uh, how it was going to impact our uh, our healthcare system, how many people were going to be hospitalized. You know, obviously there was a, a lot of discussion about uh, the fact that we wouldn't have enough ventilators potentially. Yep. yep. And I would say over the course of the springtime and the summertime, we've gotten a better understanding of how the disease spreads or how the virus spreads, how the disease affects the body, uh, effective ways to treat it, including the fact that you shouldn't rush to put people on ventilators to begin with. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a few treatments that we now know uh, are effective in helping to uh, fight the virus and help people to recover quicker. Uh, and also, we've seen the impact that these shutdowns have on people economically and financially, uh, mentally, and also in terms of their health, right? Because a lot of people have had to forego getting treatments for other very serious conditions. Right. Uh, so I think right now, I think that we're, the world's sort of recalibrating its response now that we're going to face another surge probably over the course of the next few months and i think they're trying to get a more measured approach to balance uh the different interests of society versus the very real need to try and stop the spread of this virus that has the potential to kill people um you know i think also the hope with this when he said this is that we would be relying on simple tools so that hopefully were developed at this point. So things like contact tracing, things like widely available testing and quick testing, uh, you know, getting everybody to wear masks when they're out in public, mm -hmm. uh, maybe finding ways to reduce the capacity of people who are in certain public spaces. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's my thinking. I'm thinking it's a more measured approach because the reality is you're not going to be able to tell the world to lock down again for another month or two. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Politically, it's not going to happen. Economically, it would be even more disastrous. That's so if, you're, if, if that's not going to happen, then, you know, you, you need a more measured approach. So that, that's my take. I, and I agree with that. And I, I, I really enjoyed the admission by Dr. D David Navarro. It, mm -hmm. To me, it's not so much like, ha I told you so. Lockdowns don't work. I, I get it. The lockdowns are breathing room, but that's all they are. They're breathing room. And I enjoy an official envoy of the WHO making that a public statement. Like I enjoy them saying, listen, we've tried the lockdowns. They've had their use at times, but we have to be mindful that, you know, the poor are only going to get poor. Mental health mm -hmm. is health. Like, when you have depression rates going through the roof, when you have suicide rates going through the roof, when you have crime in almost every every major city hitting record highs this year, these are considerations we have to take into the equation. And mm -hmm. I'm just it uh, it reaffirms it, it at least lends extra credibility to the who I think took a shot to their credibility over the past year by regurgitating some of the info that came out of China, some of their kind of flip floppy stances on masks as the information got better and better. But to me, this gives the who a little bit more credibility to say, I like the fact that they're course correcting and that they're giving a more realistic rendition of the uses and disadvantages of lockdowns. Like I, I thought that was responsible by them and I'm glad they did it, but science, um, man, science. Yeah. yeah science. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, I think that was all we had for today. Did we miss anything? No, I think that's it. Uh, and in record time, nearly. 69 minutes 30 seconds till 70 minutes we're gonna try and do it thank you everybody for listening to another episode of donkey and rhino don't forget to hit us up www.instagram.com slash donkey and rhino hit us up with your comments suggestions give us some likes give us some love we're always willing to listen and yeah thanks for listening yet again all right thank you everyone see you next time peace